yes, it takes more time. Yes, it takes more effort. But when you do those things, just like the story you just shared, people are going to talk about it. They're going to tell their friends. They're going to tell their family. If you just do that, you will stand out from all of your competitors. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Wayne Mullins, founder and CEO of Ugly Mug Marketing, providing marketing, social media, graphic design, web design, and other services. He's a generous soul, a risk taker, and an out-of-the-box, against-the-grain thinker and leader. My kind of guy. Over the past 20 years, Wayne has scaled multiple companies and helped hundreds of entrepreneurs do the same with their companies. Wayne influences more than 250,000 entrepreneurs annually through his blog, books, and training programs, and has personally worked with clients in over 100 industries from every corner of the globe. Ugly, Ugly Mug Marketing has won the praises of some industry leaders, such as Neil Patel, founder of Quicksprout and Kissmetrics, and Ari Weinswig, co-founder of Zingerman's, one of my favorite places from when I was in graduate school in their early days. Wayne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited for our chat today. I am too, because I'm, I'm really, I, I really want to know more about your business and the problem that you're solving for your clients. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, our business is, is a very interesting business. Uh, I say that we're in this business where people often come to us with an assumption that they have a marketing problem. And it's kind of like an onion, I guess. And as we start exploring, as we start diving in, what we quickly realize is there's often other things that are the root causes of some of these um, negative experiences that they're going right. through. So, you know, it's, it's really a lot of investigation on our part and really trying to identify what is the root cause of the problems that they're experiencing in their business. So how do you discover that? It, it requires a lot of digging, a lot of questioning, um, a lot of active listening. You know, I think all too often that we, when we come into a situation with a prescription in hand, we get into trouble. In other words, I if I approach a conversation with this idea of, you know, the solution has to be a website, it has to be a social media campaign or a marketing campaign, I'm never going to truly uncover what may be the root cause because right. I'm looking through the lens of my prescription. And, you know, for, for us, it's really about understanding at a core level, you know, what, what is causing the pain that they're experiencing in their business? Well, and, and, and certainly that's what a true consultant does, right? Um, I, you know, I, I see so often people saying, oh yeah, we have a solution to solve your problem. I'm like, you don't know anything about me. How could you have a solution to solve my problem? Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, I get, I get, I get LinkedIn and email spam all the time, you know, and, and, or, you know, oh, I've got, I've got some program here and that'll solve all your problems. No, it's not every, it's every company is different. And I don't believe one solution can solve every problem. I mean, I think there are people who fall for that, you know? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Carol. I think what's interesting is, you know, for us, 
we are often viewed as consultants. You know, so what we do in those buckets, we're viewed as a consultant. But what I talk with my team about all the time is, you know, when when we think of consulting, there's two other worlds or two other realms that exist. On one far extreme, there's therapy. In the middle, there's what's called coaching. And then on the other extreme, there's consulting. And people come to us because they want the answer. And what we talk through as a team is that, you know, very often we need to learn to ask better questions. We need to be more like a therapist to dive into how did they end up in the situation that they're in? What are the symptoms that are showing up? Um, so for us, it's about learning to lean the opposite direction. And, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of, Carol, is this, that when someone comes to us with a problem, and it's a problem that on the surface they believe we can fix, we will very often turn people away and tell them, "You're yes, we could fix your website, or we could do your social media, or we could do these things, but there's another underlying issue that you need to address. And so I'm actually most proud of my team when we actually have those conversations and we walk away from prospective clients because we're doing what's in their long-term best interest. Listen, I, listen, I, I think I, I've done the same thing. You know, I, I look in the past in the past and I think oh, I would never work with that person again. Never. You know, I didn't realize it up front, but now I do. Right. And sometimes, sometimes that can happen. And that was earlier on in my career, of course. But I, you know, I think you've made a really important distinction, you know, coaching, consulting, those are distinctly different things. And you know, I have, I so often say, and I don't want to get to, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but you know, that, that because coaching, there's no barrier to entry or low barrier to entry, you know, same thing really with consulting. Anybody can say, oh, I can, I can be a coach. No, you can't. And I think most people think coaching is advising and that's not it. They're two different jobs right? There's coaching, there's advisory, there's, you know, consult, there's, I mean, they're different functions. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've discovered is that, you know, when we, you know, so flipping the script and let's say I'm on the other side of the table, I'm seeking out advice from other people. Um, one of the things that I think we make mistakes in so often as entrepreneurs, as leaders, is when we confuse the difference between advice and opinion. Yes. Any single person on this planet can give me an opinion yep. about what I should do with my business. So mm -hmm. let's say I'm facing a problem and let's say I go to my parents and say, Hey, I'm facing this problem in my business. What should I do? They can give me their opinion, but can they actually give me advice on this scenario? No. And so my criteria personally is this for someone to give me advice one of three things need to be true number one they've been in the scenario that's they've been right in they're the an expert thing that yeah that that i'm going through in this moment number two yeah. the second option would be they have firsthand experience so in other mm -hmm. words maybe they weren't the ceo of the company but maybe they were the coo or maybe they were the executive assistant, so they witnessed it firsthand and they observed something, so they're entitled to an opinion. Or the final one would be this, and this one gets a little tricky, but they're a world-class expert in that particular thing. In other words, they spent years analyzing, studying, right. and they know in depth about the scenario that you're in. So those three things for me have to be true when I'm seeking advice. Opinion, that's great. I don't mind hearing people's opinions, but when I need advice, I want to make sure one of those three things is true. And, and it's the same for me, I might add, right? I, I just, and I tell people all the time, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Do the things you are expert at and let somebody else do the things that they're expert at. Absolutely. Love it.
I, I don't know why that's, I don't know why that should be an epiphany for anybody, but <laughs> go figure. So, so, so you are, uh, you're privately held. Um, you founded the company in 2009. You've bootstrapped it. Tell me about your journey, Wayne, from, you know, getting out of school, you're a cat adjuster for some time. Like, like, you know, did you have any prior experience to this? Like what, how did this happen for you? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the super quick version of the story is this. When I was in school, um, I was in business. I was pursuing business with a specialization in marketing. And then one year for Christmas, my parents gave me some CDs from this gentleman of the name Zig Ziglar. I <laughs> um, love him. Zig, <laughs> absolutely. Zig Ziglar sold me on the profession of selling. So sales, I knew from yeah. that point forward, <laughs> yep, I wanted to go in sales. Yeah. I graduated, got a job in sales, spent three years in sales. The first year and a half, Carol, I was absolutely horrific, but I was stubborn. So I kept at it, kept learning, kept trying, kept knocking on doors, kept having doors slammed in my face, but kept at it. By the end of year three, I'd gotten really good. And over that last year and a half, what I noticed, Carol, was that my income was over here and the amount of revenue that I was bringing in for the company kept growing. In other words, there's this bigger and bigger gap mm -hmm. between right. those yep. two. Yep. 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 And so it's a very dangerous thought crossed my mind, which was, what if I did something for myself? What could I make if I went and did something for myself? Um, at that time, other than sales, the only other skill that I had that was marketable was cutting grass. So much to the dismay of my parents, I left a really great corporate sales became job. Became a landscaper. Started, <laughs> became a lawn and landscaper. Yeah, right. Um, and here's what happened though. Over the next three-year period, I took that company from zero to a very successful, very large company, and I sold it. And I sold it almost on a whim. Like I, I'd grown it to the point where I knew the next step for us as a company was to go into other territories. I wasn't overly excited about you know, the next territory for us was 80 miles away. I wasn't very excited about that. So I listed it with a business broker and lo and behold, within two weeks, I had a couple of offers on the business and I sold it. But where Ugly Mug comes into the picture is this, that during that rapid growth of that lawn and landscape company, I started having clients of the lawn and landscape company. I started having friends come to me and saying, what are you doing to grow? How are you growing your company so quickly? And, you know, the short answer is, marketing. I was doing marketing. And so it was out of those questions that I began consulting around marketing. Um, when I put the company for sale, I literally had no clue what I was going to do next. Um, and that's where the insurance cat adjusting came in. Um, I, sold, I sold the business and a friend of mine sent me something uh, saying that State Farm was hiring. And that was right after Hurricane Katrina hit. And I applied and I was hired out of, I think they said 25,000 people. I was one of 200 people hired for that position. I did that for a couple of years as I was doing consulting on the side and then decided to get into this full time. So that's 14 years ago. That's fantastic. So what's the competitive nature of your business, Wayne? What's your, what's the, what do the competitors look like in your business? I'm sure there are other companies doing what you're doing or, or trying to do what you're doing or say they're doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's everyone from, you know, well-established agencies who've been around a long time who quote unquote do what we do to, you know, uh, a potential client's nephew who's in college, who has a roommate who does computer related things, who's a competitor of ours now. Um, you know, the things that I would say that make us different, make us stand out from 
a lot of our competitors is this, that we don't force people into long-term contracts. We tell people, give us two months. That's all it takes. Give us two months. And within two months, you will know if we're a good fit. We will know if you're a good fit within two months. We don't want to lock you into working with us just because you signed a piece of paper. If we're not able to produce results and, you know, in the marketing world, results, the results are often, yeah, they're, they're tied to what we would call vanity metrics. Oh, you know, look at the impressions, look at the reach, look at the this, look at the that. And don't get me wrong, those things matter. But at the end of the day, why people come to us, the majority of our clients come to us is because they want more money in the bank account, right? They want the phone to ring. Right. They want their phone to ring. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how I look at it. You know, yeah, I, I, I want, you know, my, you know, what drives me is the opportunity to make a difference. However, yeah. I can't do that if Spot my phone's on. not ringing. And that, that's for us where we stay focused. So, right. So they may come to us because they want a website, but they're wanting the website because they need more customers. They need more inquiries or they need more sales through that, that channel. And so the quicker we can deliver those results, we know that we will win a client for life if we're able to deliver those results for them. So are you doing all, you know, for their website, I assume, I have to assume that you're doing all the SEO and all the things that will generate, you know, people to find them. Is that correct? That is correct. And we've gone through, we've gone actually through phases of that, Carol. So um, way back we did SEO and we had a lot of clients who, who, you know, we had doing SEO work for. And one of the things that became so frustrating for me is that, you know, you have these small businesses that we're working with and they're spending, let's just say $500 a month on SEO services. Okay. And then all of a sudden Google makes a big update. And so they go from page one. Yeah. To page, to page million. <laughs> well, they, you know, they jump, let's say to page three. Right. Well, for a small business owner, that's a big deal. You're on page three, you're, you're not going to be, that's found. exactly like you're, right. You're non-existent yep. for the most part. Mm -hmm. And so it became for me, this, this huge thing of like, you know, I feel terrible that we've spent, you know, this, this entrepreneur has now spent six months, let's just call it $3,000. Google decides to make an update and they go from page one to now page three. And so, yeah, so we, we stopped actually doing SEO for a while mm -hmm. because we wanted things that were more controllable, right? Things that we and the client could have more control over. Um, we're back doing SEO work now, but we approach it differently than most. Um, again, solely results-based, results-oriented. And again, we want people to question us, to challenge us. We want to be held to a very high standard around the results we're producing. What's the expectation you set for your customers, your clients, as to how long it's going to take for them to actually see that phone start ringing? Yeah, it's going to vary based on what they're coming to us for and where they're starting, right? So for somebody who's just a startup and they have nothing, maybe they're launching the website for the first time, that ramp is going to be a little bit longer. Um, but at the end of the day, regardless of where they are, we tell them two months, like in two months, we want to have the conversation. Are you starting to see results? Yeah. Well, because yeah. the quicker we can produce a positive ROI on the money they're spending with us, you know, the longer they're going to stay with us. You know, in, in most of our work, that's ongoing work, in other words, social media, um, marketing campaigns, SEO, our clients stay with us for years. So, well, you know, if you're producing, why wouldn't they? Yeah. So that's, that's where we stay focused and it, it's not easy. I'm not gonna lie. It's very, very difficult. It's far easier to go set up a campaign and then 
talk about the reach, talk about the impressions, talk about the number of people who like the post or, you know what I mean? It's very easy to talk about all those vanity metrics. It's very difficult to constantly look for new ways, look for new avenues to produce leads for all of our clients. It's a lot more work, but we believe it's the right thing to do. And we believe that's why we keep our clients so much longer than everybody else. Who's your, who's your prospect? Can you tell me what that looks like? Your prospect? Com- is it a certain size of company, certain number of employees, industry? Yeah. As much as I wish I had a, a great succinct answer for you, um, what I've come to realize over the years is this. We don't pursue a certain vertical. We don't pursue a certain niche. Um, the best definition that I can give you is this. We love working with growth-minded entrepreneurs. Mm, love it. That could be a, yeah, that could be a startup. That could be a not-for-profit, right? As long as the person that we're working with, as long as the leader of that organization is entrepreneurial in spirit Mm -hmm. and they are growth minded. Mm -hmm. In other words, they want to challenge the status quo. They want to do things differently and they're actively pursuing growth. That is who we love to work with. That's fantastic. So what's your, what's your uh, financial model for people? Do they have like, you know, do you, would you like to see them? You said, well, we want them to see results within two months. That's pretty quick. Um, you know, I've talked to other people say, no, they have to sign up for at least six months. Um, and this is what it's going to cost. So what does that look like for you? Yeah, there's no, there's no huge lump sum money due up front. In other words, we don't say like, you know, it's going to be $5,000 setup fee. You're going to stick with us for two months. And if you want to leave, frequently is the answer that most people give. Yeah. Yeah. Ours is flat. So in other words, depending on the service, um, let's just call, I'm just gonna make this up. Let's just say it's a thousand dollars a month. We say, okay, it's thousand dollars a month. Here's what we're going to do. Um, for that thousand dollars a month, here's what we're going to deliver. Here's what we're focused on. And then we say, okay, two months in, you've now given us $2,000 at the end of that two months. Are you, are you happy with the results that we produce for you at this point? Do you feel a difference? Do you see a difference? Not in vanity metrics, but in real metrics that matter for your business or your organization. What impact would you say that you have had in your industry? in the last, you know, 13 years since you founded the company? Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, the impact I believe, or at least I hope that we've had is this, that um, when our clients come to us, they notice a difference. Um, they genuinely notice a difference that it's not just about doing the things that we say we're going to do. In other words, post three times a week on social media or do six campaigns. Um I really hope that others, and and I know this to be true because uh, we have a lot of our competitors who attend our events and study what we do and how we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, You're doing something right. That, <laughs> yeah, that we actually prioritize the relationship with our clients. And it's not a superficial relationship. So what I mean by that is um, it's very common for one of our team members to say, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, we've got a client who just had their mother pass away. She was she was elderly, but she just passed away. And so the team member that works with this person is going to the visitation for the funeral tomorrow evening to go give their condolences to their client. Um, we had someone else who just had a baby. So the person with that account put something together very meaningful to send to that client congratulating them on, you know, the new addition to their family. So it's, it's really about human connection. I know you mentioned this earlier, but in business, business is really simple. 
it's we make it so complicated, right? If you just take care of people, yes. you just want what's best for them and you treat them like human beings. Um, it's amazing what will happen to your business if we if we stop thinking so transactional, right? Where's the next phone call? Where's the next person coming from? If we stop thinking that way and we start treating people as human beings, it will transform our businesses. That's the, you know, I could I could not say that any better myself. What are your biggest challenges? Uh, would you say are being that you're facing not only with an ugly mug, but within your industry that you're that you're calling into right now? And and are your competitors facing the same challenges? Yeah, I would say big picture, like global. What what are we facing? You know, it's the rate of change. Obviously, in the space we're in, you know, it's it's you know MySpace, it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's Snapchat, it's TikTok, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm, YouTube, it's mm -hmm. it's a new platform every day. So the rate of change is so constant. Keeping up with that can be a challenge. And we honestly, we don't even try. We have, you know, we've figured out where we're best and we stay focused. Like you said earlier, Carol, we stay focused. We stay in our lanes. That doesn't mean we don't begin exploring other lanes and de begin developing expertise in other areas. Um, we'd be foolish not to. But at the same time, we hang our hat on the things we are really great at. And then for us specifically, what's the biggest challenge for us? Um, I would say that, you know, as an entrepreneur who has completely bootstrapped the business, um, that is a very challenging thing to go through. And, and, you know, I can share horror stories of the first seven years of this business of attempting to bootstrap it. I can you know, tell you stories of personally having to sell a home, having to sell land, having to sell vehicles, having to sell boats, having to sell pretty much everything we owned, my wife and I, to make this thing happen, to just get this thing to survive, right? So um, today we're in a completely different place as a company, um, but still, you know, anytime you're in a growth mode, you are actually going to be burning through cash. And so, you know, for us, it's that balance of growing at a good pace, growing at a pace that is sustainable for us and for our culture. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, there's, I think every entrepreneur, every entrepreneur that's bootstrapped, you know, empathizes with this, right? And, I, I, but that leads me to a question as, did you ever consider institutional capital? I did it at one point, um, way back when things were, were really tough. And I knew that if I had some, you know, a chunk of cash, that it would give us some breathing room. It would remove some of the stress, some of the burden. Um, and so I, I began that, that direction and actually had somebody interested and willing to write a check. Um, but then what I knew is that, you know, there was, there's obviously stipulations that come with that. There's a burden that comes with that lump sum mm -hmm. of cash. And for me at the time, I was just like, you know what? I've made it this far in the journey without it. I'm going to keep pushing through. There's light at the end of the tunnel. At least I believe there was, and there was. Um, I'm going to keep pushing through and make it to that other side. So I would say that, you know, for those who are bootstrapping, you know, it's this fine line of knowing when to go get capital or when to, you know, in my case, relinquish some of those things out of that to give up, you know, some equity and things like that um, versus pushing through on your own and getting to that quote unquote light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, that's really great. Is there anything about your business, your industry that kind of sits like a, you know, sits in your craw? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, we talked about it briefly earlier, but uh, this, this whole idea of vanity metrics, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. this whole idea of 
to be honest with you, Carol, I think there's so much smoke and mirrors I that go on in the marketing disagree. world. Yeah, I cannot disagree. Yeah. yeah. And and to me, it's, yeah, it's just sad. I, I just had a conversation today, um, you know, with someone and they spent a good chunk of money having a website built from someone. And now their website, when you pull it up on a mobile device, yeah, the website's there, but it takes like 10 seconds to load. Um, it's not user-friendly. And you know, I feel terrible for these people because they were sold, you know, this, this bag of goods, they were sold this vision of the future of how the website was going to help them. And, and I know these people personally, they don't have a lot of money. So this money they spent on this was, yeah. And I just feel, I feel absolutely terrible for the things that people in our industry do um, under the name of our industry, preying on people who don't speak the language and who don't understand what is actually taking place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I pretty much delete everything I get <laughs> because people are always trying to sell me stuff that I neither need nor want. Um, or, you know, there's a thousand, a thousand people in the business doing that. Well, you know, again, what do you, what makes you think that, you know, you know anything about my business because you send me a LinkedIn message, you know, I, yeah, absolutely. That's not, how to do, that's not how you do business. Yeah. that That's the worst I get, you know, I, you I hate same, to accept sure. people's, uh, yeah, I hate to even accept people's you know request on LinkedIn because I know as soon as I accept it, I'm going to get a message that says, "Hey, I'm looking to connect and you know get this service." And, yeah, you know, yeah, I know. Would I, love to I, connect. Yeah, I have I have had to say to people from time to time, somebody like I've wanted, I I I'm thinking, you know, I think I, I'm willing to connect with this person, but I will send them a message first and say, you know, if I connect with you, are you going to start spamming me? You know, that's I mean, to your to your point about the human relationship, right? This is how you build businesses. <laughs> it's the, you know, it's, it's somebody having a baby and sending them something. It's right. One of my clients, uh, when I got COVID in January, um, sent me this beautiful gift package of tea and lotions. And I mean, all this really nice stuff. And I thought that was just the nicest thing ever. It was just a nice thing to do. You know, and they were my client. That's awesome. They were already paying me to do work for them, but I just thought that was, yeah. you know, it's just those, t those human touches that you, we, you know, that we do for people that I think we're losing. Many people are losing sight of, I think most people are losing sight of that. The importance of that, like, like not sending a handwritten thank you note when somebody gives you a gift, they send you a text that makes me crazy. Really? Wholeheartedly agree with you. And Ugh. what I would say is this, that in that reality. So that's the world we live in, right? We live in this world where um, people are so used to not experiencing human connection when they do business, mm -hmm. that it's such an opportunity for those of us who are willing to make those connections. Yes, it takes more that's time. Right. Yes, it takes more effort. But when you do those things, just like the story you just shared, people are going to talk about it. That's They're going right. to tell their friends. They're mm -hmm. going to tell their family. And so what I tell people is if you want a true marketing competitive advantage, look for ways to be more human. Look for ways to treat people like human beings. If you just do that, you will stand out from all of your competitors. There's no, there is no question. And you heard it here first, people. <laughs> well, it's sad though. Like you were saying, yeah. it's, it's so sad that we've reached this point yes, I, yeah. where sending someone a thank you note or where you know, sending someone sympathy when a relative dies or a family member dies, right? That those things today are, are abnormal. They stand out. And it's just sad that we've reached this place. But as entrepreneurs, as leaders, as business owners, 
it is a tremendous opportunity for us to showcase our humanity and are caring for other people. Absolutely. There's no question about that. Um, Wayne, who, um, how do you find your customers? They find us. We are, I would say we are, you know, 98 plus percent uh, referral based are people mm. calling us. Um, most of, most of our clients actually come from referrals from other mm. people, word of mouth. Love it. So you have about a dozen full-time employees. Um, you know, and that, that seems a, a little bit to me small for a 14 year old company, right? Or 13 year old company, excuse me. Um, so I'm curious a little bit about your growth and your talent strategy. And I know there are two different questions, but they kind of, you know, go hand in hand a little bit at, at, you know, and where you've seen your greatest challenges. Sure. Yeah. So I would, what I would say is to answer the first question is this, that you have to realize for the first seven years, I was pretty stupid. And so the first seven years <laughs> okay. don't technically count. So let's repeat count. that. Okay. Although, got it. All right. Let's make that clear. <laughs> the first seven years didn't count. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Only the last no, five. We were in business and it was, yeah. yeah, we were in business and, and, you know, I had on and off employees during that time, uh, during the first seven years, but I was pretty stupid during that time. Um, I was again, attempting to bootstrap and you know had a lot of my own ego to get out of the way so really we're seven years in this new phase of of life if you will and what i'd say in terms of growth is this that i i, I firmly believe and truly believe that um, culture the culture of the company is far more important than any strategy yep. is far more important than any growth opportunity and so we have to actually now be very careful in terms of our growth. So we are growing at a very calculated rate. In other words, it's very common for us to have an inquiry, like somebody calls today and they say, hey, we want to work with you on this particular thing, whatever that thing may be. And it's not uncommon for us to say, okay, our next available start date for that is two or three or even four months, months out from in the now. future. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And it's not like that's not manufactured, that's reality because of the way we're attempting to pace our growth. Um, you know, the the health and well-being of our team is so critically important. Um, I would much rather grow slowly and have a very healthy team who's not stressed out, who's not working 50, 60, 70 hours a week, who can enjoy their lives, enjoy their time at the office. Um, so for me, um, is are there sacrifices being made because of that in terms of growth? Absolutely. Does that directly affect valuation? Absolutely. We could We could easily be, you know, many multiples the size we are right now. Um, but that but the but, question yeah. becomes at what? At what cost? At what cost? That's right. Yep. And, you know, and, and, you know, you have the luxury as a bootstrapped organization that somebody doesn't have when they have venture capitalists involved who have their so own true. plan about how you should grow. Right. And I'm not here to say to take venture capital or not. Okay. I mean, that's not my, that's not my decision to make for anybody. Um, but I do always say, I, I had somebody say, you know, uh, that bootstrapped and subsequently sold their, sold their firm to another firm, um, well-known larger company. They had bootstrapped. And I said to him at one point, so have you, have you thought about, you know, where, where are you with investment? He goes, well, we're kind of trying to decide, you know, if we want to, if we want to go for an A round, right. Do we want to take that capital? And I said, well, you know, here's the question you, you know, you need to ask yourself, can we get from point A to point B in the time we, we believe we want to get there? 
right? Um, and and is, of course, is taking institutional capital going to change everything about how we do things, right? And, and I'm not here to make venture capital the bad guy because they're not. They're very valuable for many, many companies. Um, but it's also really important to find a, the right venture partner whose money you want to take. Because, you know, if you're not aligned, you're screwed. Absolutely. One of, one of the questions that, you know, I work with the CFO and one of the questions he always asks me is this, what are the unintended consequences of this decision? And there are always unintended consequences. And these are even in positive decisions, right? So it's like, you know, do we, do we offer this bonus program? It's like, great. Here's all, here's how that's going to play out financially. Mm-hmm. But what are the unintended consequences of doing this thing? And so what I would say is that, you know, like you were saying, is it right or wrong to take venture capital or not to bootstrap? Like, it doesn't matter. Like there are unintended consequences of bootstrapping. There are going to be that's unintended right. consequences of taking money. It's just a matter of knowing that that's going to be a reality, right? There's something there, an un- unintended consequence. And you may not know what there. those are until after the fact, by the way. So, so, you know, going, going back to your talking about your growth and your talent strategy, you know, uh, where have you made hiring mistakes and why? (laughs) Yeah. So I've, I've made my long list, long, long list of hiring mistakes. Um, number one is hiring too quickly. In other words, um, I need somebody. I'm so stressed out. I'm doing so much or, you know, we're growing so yeah, quickly. Very bad, very, very bad position to be in. Absolutely. You know, I, I believe yeah. now that there are three C's that we attempt to hire for. Um, number one would be culture. In other words, do they fit our culture? Um, number two would be competency. Like, can they do the thing that we need them to do? And then the last one would be the actual character of the person, right? What's their character? How are they? Are they the same person? in the interview as they are at home, you know, what's that personality character? Um, So those are the three things that we've learned to look for. Our hiring process now is extremely slow. I mean, we're extremely slow, very deliberative. Um, We have a very, very detailed process that we go through multiple, you know, the candidate will go through multiple interviews. They'll go through multiple different exercises and scenarios. Um, And when we get down to the final candidate or candidates, they'll actually come spend either a half day or a full day in the office, working alongside us, doing certain things. Um, so I've, I've, I've made all the mistakes in terms of hiring. Well, I mean, listen, you're, you're not, you're not, um, you're not an Island. Let me just say that. Okay. Yeah. No. Every, every, you know, if you want to call yourself a first time founder, I mean, yes, you built a, a grass company, which is, you know, a, a mowing company, which is great, but, but this is very different what you're doing now from what you were doing then. And so, so that kind of leads me to when you look at yourself as a leader and then some of the mistakes that you've made along the way, what are some of the mistakes and what have you learned and how long did it take you to realize that you needed to change the way you were doing things? Love this question. The the things that weren't working. Yeah. So what I would say, number one, the, the biggest mistake that I made for the longest was the belief that I wasn't and couldn't be a good leader. You know, so for the first seven years, I made so many hiring mistakes. I, I had all these like internal battles with people. And I mean, internal in terms of like mental anguish within myself mm-hmm. over, do I keep the person? Do I let them go? What do I do with the person? Um, and so number one mistake I made was the belief that I couldn't be a good leader. Um, and how I began to work on that was a slow progress. But the way for me personally that it happened was, um, 
the, the quick version of the story is I brought a friend of mine to a lunch with me. It was a mastermind lunch for entrepreneurs. And the day he goes with me, it's the day that we're talking about teams and building your team. And so at the very first thing we have people do when they came into the room was they would say their name and they say the number of people who work for them. So everyone's going around. It gets to this guy. He's coming up. Everyone in town knows him. He's the most successful entrepreneur. He has like 600 employees. And so it's his turn. And he says, you know, my name is, introduce himself. And he says, in terms of the number of people I've working for me, it's about half of them. And then, you know, everybody busts out laughing because he makes a joke about how half the people don't want to work that are actually on payroll. <laughs> and we leave the thing. And I brought my friend because I was trying to convince him to scale his business, to keep growing it. He had an offer to sell it. Um, but he said after that, like, I don't want to deal with employees. I'm, I'm done. I'm just going to sell it and walk away. Um, but for me, I remember walking away from that experience thinking, I know there are companies out there who their team members are thriving, whose team members are A players, whose team members carry the burden, whose team members are willing to step up, right? And not have to be babysat, if you will. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I knew that was a possibility. Mm -hmm. And that began this you know, kind of journey for me as a leader, studying what it means to build a great culture, studying what it means to be a good leader. Um, you know, and what, what I boiled it down to is this, Carol, is you know, there's three concentric rings, at least this is the way I define it. Um, there's relationship, in one circle, there is discomfort in one circle, and there is comfort in the other. And so as a leader, I have to learn to balance those three things. In other words, the relationship with my team members, genuinely caring about them, making sure they understand how much I care about them, not just in terms of what they do for us and for the company, but them as human beings and their futures. Um, discomfort in that it's my job to push them into areas of discomfort, to help mm -hmm. them grow. That's right. But it's also my job to allow them to go back to a place of comfort because just like with like working out or lifting weights, when you, can, you can lift only stress weights, so much. That's right. Exactly. And the growth actually occurs in muscles during recovery. The growth of the muscles get torn down during the stress and they grow during the recovery. And the same thing is true with people. And what I've learned and what I, what I talk to my team leaders about is this, that all of us by default are better at one of those three circles. So for me, I personally love pushing people into discomfort, right? I'm like, I'm a rebel. I love discomfort. Yeah. I love pushing people that way. For other people on my team, for other leaders, I've got some amazing people in terms of relationships. They love building relationships. They love people. That's not me, right? I'd rather go hide in the corner and not deal with people. But what that tells me is I need to work on relationships. I, I need to get better at relationships. I, I need to make sure I'm balancing out my, my natural tendencies to push people into discomfort. And so having that conversation with my leaders, though, and helping them understand, okay, you probably by default go here, which means you, you have to be intentional and lean this other way a little bit more. So th those lessons for me have been so, so fundamental. That's fantastic. Why did you believe that you were not a good leader? Because, you know, just disappointment? Well, it stemmed from, from back when I had the lawn and landscape company. So at the time I was 23 to 25, 26 years old in that range. And I had a team and I had typically men who were older than me, much older than me working for me. And so there's a lot of insecurity that came just strictly from that age difference. Um, there was also some, some challenges that came from that set of employees. Um, you know, we're in Louisiana and it is ridiculously hot in the summertime, which is when grass grows. Right. And so, you know, the, the 
quote unquote caliber of people who want to go out yeah, in right, the hundred right. degree heat yes. and cut grass every day. That's right. It can create challenges. And so I carried that that stigma or that belief about uh, my ability to lead other people from the previous. And here's the thing that I would say is that um, I don't know if you're familiar with what's called uh, Jahari window, I think is what it's called. We don't know what we don't know, oh, yeah, right? right. <laughs> and so for me, I didn't know that I actually could be a good leader because I had all this evidence that said I couldn't be. That's right. And that's why I think it's so, so important for people to have coaches or consultants yes. in their lives who will tell them the truth, who will reveal to them the things they can't see for themselves. So I'm really glad you pointed that out, that you're mentioning that, because as I'm listening to your story, I'm thinking, I wanted to say to you, so seven years of this, you know, shit show, basically, like, did you not seek any counsel? Did you not look for a coach? And if you did, this is a challenge many people have. They hire somebody who's, you know, not worth a damn. Yeah. So the answer is I, I actually had a coach. I'm a huge believer in coaching. Um, I've almost the entire 14 year journey of this company, almost without fail. I mean, there's very few gaps with just a few months when I have not had some form of coach or been in some form of mastermind group. So I am a huge believer in that. But what I would say the reason in hindsight that I went through such a struggle during that time, even though I had a coach who I think was actually in hindsight, a pretty decent coach it's because I didn't understand the difference between advice and opinion. And I was getting opinions from a lot of other people. And so they were clouding what, you know, it all sounded good because they had my best, my best interest at heart. Right. So like friends would give me advice. Well, advice in quotation marks, it was opinions. And I believe because they knew me so well, because they knew what I was after, what I was seeking, that their opinions mattered probably more than the coach's opinion. And so I would do what they would say over what the coach would say. Does that make sense? So, so it was of this, course it this does. idea. I've seen, I've seen it many times in my career. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you that's know, exactly I mean, it. I started my training and coaching 24 years ago, almost 25 years ago. Um, it, it does not happen overnight. You don't get good at it overnight. You don't take one course and all of a sudden you're a coach. You know, there's, it's a low barrier to entry and anybody can say, I'm a coach. No, you're not. You don't understand what it is to be a coach. Right. So when you talk about the Jahari, I, I look at it in a little bit of a different way. Um, I look at it and you, you know, would see this in any of my right and much of my writing, you know, there's, there's three sort of realms, if you want to use that word realms that we live in, there's the realm of, I know what I know. There's a realm of, I know what I don't know, but where the great coaching works is in the realm of, I don't know what I don't know <laughs> or your blind spots. Right. And you know, it's in there, it's uncovering what's in there. And, you know, and that baggage that you were dragging, dragging with you from your lawn company to your current organization, you know, there are ways to disrupt that, right? And it sounds like that you've, you know, done a lot of that work to do that disruption, right? But until you know what's in that blind spot, you cannot put structures in place. 100% agree to with To keep that. it from limiting you, limiting your progress. As a human being and as, as a business leader? At 100%. I believe from my experience, so again, um, having been in the business world for a long time now, I, I, I believe from my experience that all of us at various points are going to hit glass ceilings, invisible barriers that we can't see. 
but they are limiting our potential. And that is why I'm so passionate for, for anyone to find a coach, find yep. someone who's willing to tell you those truths and willing to tell you things that make you a little bit uncomfortable. And it, it cannot be a friend. It cannot be a family member. And the reason is they're going to soften it. They're going to pat it. They don't want to hurt your feelings. Yeah. 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 I can tell you, you know? I could give you, I could tell you a million stories, you know? Yeah. But, but sure. for me, I, I would just to reiterate, coaching has played such a valuable role Fantastic. in every dollar. I spent dollars on coaching when there were no dollars to spend on coaching. Bravo, because that's not usually what happens. People usually, I can't well, afford it. Well, you can't afford not to. It is exactly. It is the best investment you will ever make in yourself and in the future of your company. You don't invest based on current reality, right? right? You don't that's hire right. a coach based on where you are today. You hire the coach based on where you're going to be in two years or three years or where you're going, right? That's the coach you need. So I want to I want to ask you one final question about this then because I, I think this is I always find this to be really interesting. So how did you go about discerning what a great coach was? Because like I said, it's a low barrier to entry. Anybody, everybody's a coach. Mm -mm. Yeah, yeah. Very early on, um, I found coach. I found a coach who I thought had some experience in the industry that we're in. So in marketing a business growth coach in marketing. That was my only criteria. I wanted somebody who had quote unquote done work in marketing. Um, what I've slowly learned over the years though, more of an advisor is, in my, in my, yeah, world, yeah, yeah. Not a what I've learned over the years is I want to hire someone to work on the area that I've uncovered that I need to work on to get to that next level. Right. And again, I don't know all those things. Right. So when I started working on, on leadership, I knew I wanted and needed a coach in leadership. Someone who would force me into things that I wasn't comfortable doing. Someone who would call me out when I wasn't being a good leader, right? So that is, the answer is for me personally, I look at where I'm trying to get to. And then I also look at what are those barriers? What are those things that are limiting me, preventing me from getting to that next level? And, you know, leadership, what I would say, it doesn't matter what organization you have or what organization you're a part of, leadership is a vital role. And I personally believe you know, and this is, I'll give my, my criteria why I believe I'm entitled to this opinion, at least, you know, we work at any point in time, we're working somewhere between probably 60 and 70 clients in all different industries. And I've literally worked with, with hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs personally over the years. And what I, what I would say is this, that, um, when you are in that place of whatever that next level is for you, leadership is going to be a component of that. It doesn't matter where you are. And most organizations, most leaders in all these companies believe that leadership is this thing they'll get to one day. You know what I mean? Like there's all these other things that are going on that need to be addressed, that need to be taken care of. And one day I will get to leadership and training on leadership and development on leadership. And what I'd say is that's, that's a mistake from my perspective. So are you, uh, are you, uh, in the office? Are you remote? Are you hybrid? Where you, where you find, you know, where do your employees live? Yeah, we're actually hybrid. So, um, there's roughly not quite, there's roughly half of us in the office. The other half are scattered. Uh, we've got one in Michigan. We got one in North Carolina, one in Tennessee and one South Louisiana, Baton Rouge. So that said, if somebody that uh, is listening to this interview, uh, loves your style, loves how you're doing things, thinks you're super cool, and, and, and though you are growing, you know, slowly and deliberately is thinking, 
I could really make a difference at this company. What would they do? Sure. They can go to our website and on our website, we have a careers page where they can learn more about what we believe, what we stand for, um, what our core values are, which again, we're very, we're very serious about our values. And, uh, I know, I know a lot of people say that, and you know, it's, it's the cool thing to say, like we're a values driven company, but we have a different approach to that here. We don't believe a value is a value unless it costs you something. So you can say you value great uh, customer experiences, but if that isn't actually costing you something, right, you're having to make a decision about that. In other words, we're going to sacrifice to create a great experience. It's not truly a value. Um, so anyway, that's where they would go. I'll get off my, my values tangent. But <laughs> that, no, no, that's okay. And, and if somebody were to go to your website and, and apply, they're not going to fall into a black hole, are they? No, they won't. There's very, very specific uh, steps that we go through with every single job applicant. Mm -hmm. Even if, even if you're not interested. Yep. Okay. Even if you're not. Yeah. Rumor has it, you might even get something in the mail. Oh, very interesting. Okay. Well, um, I wish we had more time, but we are running over. Um, I could keep talking to you for another hour. Easy. Uh, but Wayne Mullins, founder and CEO of Ugly Mug Marketing. Um, this has really been a great conversation. I appreciate your generosity. Thank you so much, Carol. I've enjoyed it. And I just want to say thank you for doing what you do and making the difference that you're making. Um, I know this is, our, this is our first conversation, but I went and looked at your bio and I know the work that you're doing. I've, I read you know, up on what you do. And it's such a needed thing in the business world today. And so thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.